0: When you are down and out, how do you get up and go forward? Have you been prospecting for month on end, only to end up with one? Your past mistakes, habits, unlimited belief prison your development? Or are you just kind of depressed about your current employment? There are many reasons to get down and start to get depressed about your situations. When you're down, do you know how to get back up in art right, Derek? Join us on Yes You Can podcast show. The new you start today, not tomorrow welcome welcome everybody to uh yes you can podcasting show and guess what we have another episode available today with another guest who we have and it's going to penetrate a lot with people out there who've got a disability like myself and uh James is going to uh, give us some great insight on his nature of his disability and the fantastic career that he's done over the last couple of years. So do hold tight everyone, because we're gonna be bringing our guests on very, very soon. And uh, I will suggest that uh, please do take uh, a- opportunity to listen to James' story because it's very powerful. And what I mean by that, it's, it's really a life story Walk the talk experience cannot beat walk the talk experience, but we are here to hear James' story. Okay, so because of that, I'm gonna go straight in. So, uh, James, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, and thanks for the introduction, Trevor.
0: All right, you're welcome. So, uh, so James, i uh, looking at your life story, it's gonna really give me a double boost with my disability. Uh, you know, have a drink of Guinness, and the Guinness will boost you up a bit. You know. <laughs> now, by the way, Guinness is my favourite. So I'm not Irish, but I like my Guinness. Yeah. Um, so let's put some food to thoughts with yourself. So let's start with uh, who you are and uh, a little bit about yourself. Go ahead, James.
1: Okay, I'll do my best I can to, for the the introduction, introducing myself. I am a 34 year old. I uh, have I've been with my disability my entire life. So when people say you've overcome adversity, I don't see it like that because I've always been, well, not thrown to the walls, but thrown in the deep end and kind of you either sink or you swim. Uh, I come from a family of very resilient uh, grandparents, uh, being involved in World War II. So I think it's trickled down as, well, you've never seen adversity. It's only when I've asked the questions, uh, be it as a teenager or a couple of weeks ago, as well, how, how much of my upbringing has been a, a learning curve or a struggle, both phys- physically and mentally for the family. To be able to deal with and, and the hardship that you hear from family saying, and and this is only something that I learned re- recently of my grandmother, she was all doom and gloom when I was a couple of weeks old. And when I showcased this story, I think about two weeks ago, as a Facebook Live, people were messaging me behind the scenes saying they were sobbing, thinking, okay, that's kind of superficial as an impact for me but to to hear that it's had a what would be the word I want to use um, resounding impact on somebody else's thought process you're thinking wow because I never knew my grandmother thought that way it was all very well, the shun the shone shun out my backside for a long, long time, um, as far as she was concerned, because I was the only child. I was very much the golden boy. So I think my family put me in positions to succeed time and time again, and all I had to do was execute. So for me, it's difficult sometimes to relate to other people that have acquired disabilities because I've, learned this sort of behavior of, okay, there's a problem in front of me. How do I resolve that? Whereas I don't know whether or not this is a real Einstein quote. A lot of people have got a a, a problem for a solution. Whereas for my, as far as I'm concerned, my family always put me in a position to, okay, this is a hurdle you have to overcome. How do you adapt that situation to make it accessible for you so be it uh, the earliest um time that that occurred i was in primary school i was from from no fault of my own and probably myself putting myself in that position of sitting and observing my friends and my peers playing on the jungle gym i think my mom likes to recall to me she could hear she could see the cogs moving inside my head terms of well how do I adapt that for me this is something very mundane and very easy now as a grown adult but it was a adverse situation something I had to overcome uh, within probably no later than a week play with my friends uh, later on in primary school this is health and safety gone mad now uh, people are probably not like this now running up the slide the wrong way and watching my friends do it and not wanting to miss out this took a little bit longer because uh, of obviously you know gravity um, velocity and all things like physics working against me because I've not got two legs operating in the same way so it's going to be a little bit more of a a challenge to accomplish that but within probably a week or two I'd accomplished that and I would probably jump into joy when I reached the top of the slide. It's like, well, I've overcome a massive hurdle. And then the rest is history. It's something that I've always implemented in sport. And people do ask, well, what is the motivational factor behind people being successful in sport? Well, for, for a start, irrespective of their journeys, their target or their result or their outcome is all the same be it if they're your friend, your enemy, your foe, you've all got a common goal as, you know, you want to get to the Olympics, you want to be Premier League champion in football, win something in rugby, whatever sport it is, you've all got a common goal when you start out as you want to reach the the mountaintop.
0: Right. Now, I, I, I can sense that this is going to be quite a very uh, personal interview because you went back a bit into your life. And um, this is, which I think is going to be interesting because there may be people on this show listening who are in the same similar situation like yourself need answers, need to be heard, need to be identified and accepted. Now, for the nature of the people who are listening, could you tell us the name of the Disability. What is it exactly? And um, and then I'm going to ask you another question based on how you managed to overcome those challenges as to where you are now.
1: Okay, you got two choices with this one, and this been me, uh, learning and asking questions. My disability can be described as this acronym of PFFD, and I can't remember what it stands for. And this is what my prosthetist told me, or what I have known medically for a long, long time, like for over de- decades, as uh, femoral dysplasia. So, what to, to, to give what that actually consists of as a disability, and obviously, if I get to get this wrong, uh, I don't have my femur bones. I don't have the top portion of my thigh bone. I've got a small tibia and fibia, which would be in your ankle. I've got no knee. And I've got no hip socket. And to give some context to that, um, when I was probably very, very young, probably like maybe a couple of days old, the radiographer said to my mother, due to the amount of bones that James is missing, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's probably likely that he'll never walk. And this was never conveyed to me until I asked as a teenager, how impactful has my disability been on me? And my mum told me that. Obviously, it took me a little bit longer to walk uh to crawl, sorry, a little bit longer to walk. But I overcame those with, uh obviously little bits of bouts of as babies do, you know, tumbling over, I get crawling back up and and, and eventually getting that, and walking, uh using a zimmer frame, very much like an old person would do and, and eventually Uh, Being able to stand on on two legs and go from there. And and the rest has been an evolution with uh, the diverse, not diversity, the engineering feats. Because I grew up overseas, they could try things a little bit differently than what is legally allowed uh, on the NHS. And they have been very... They had that they were very in awe of what the processes in Belgium had come up with, be it using a elbow joint, a hip joint, uh, when I was growing up because I wasn't it would be very difficult to put a proper knee joint in and maybe be growing every year and having to replace those those well those components which aren't cheap in in, in uncertain terms, but they're ingenuity to be able to okay let's put a component that okay will not sub uh, so won't be able to put be under the pressures that it normally because an elbow joint is never going to put be under put put as much force as say what you, either your your hip or your knee would be because you your, your legs are taking pretty much the load of your body so those Components probably failed, well, multitude of times. There uh, there's a good uh, story of me. I think I was probably about ten or eleven. Uh, school rang up my mum at work. Oh, James has broken his leg again, and obviously because uh, my mother worked for NATO, so the the staff and, and, and the the kids are changing probably on a, on a period basis, like three to, three to five years. And her colleague didn't know me very well, and he asked her. has James got brittle bone seems, because he keeps breaking his legs on a, on so many occasions, and she said, "No, he's got prosthetics." So I guess that people do make an assumption of uh, of the situation before knowing all the facts. For me, uh, I've spoken to I think that teacher. About three years ago, and she said, oh, I always had a smile on my face. And I was very much depressed because this is me uh, as a 32 year old now. And those questions I can't be always smiling and having that kind of setback happening time after time. It's probably come to a point where that's going to be frustrating. to always face to take that with yes uh, because but, uh memory really than I did to us a 10, 11 year old because I'm not going the bad times because they don't always serve you, like bottle up, but all that away uh, and save your yourself going forward as we do as humans. So most of those occasions remember, uh
0: Right. Now, what you're sharing here, there's a a lot of emotional attachment to this. Uh, One, the nature of your disability, two, your family. And I understand you was based in Belgium. Um, How did you, how did it affect you emotionally? And what kind of support did you get during those period of changes growing up?
1: I think from the emotional standpoint, I think it's other than the occasions of me obviously not wanting to be disabled or the story of uh, being impacted by, because I went to an American high school, so you didn't have to wear a uniform. Uh, I'd be very comfortable in a sporting setting, but not in a classroom setting. And it took me probably a couple of years to dawn on me. The impact that was having on me and i kind of think well i don't care what anybody else thinks of me this overheating sweating and feeling uncomfortable i don't feel comfortable with it so this needs to change so i think it's very for emotional for some point it's very, that was an easy one um obviously I have issues later on in life but those are probably the ones growing up that have had a bearing on me and, and kind of shaped the individual, who, who I am today.
0: Right. Growing up there with that disability, um, did you feel you have to keep proving yourself to people out there? Um, and did people accept you for who you are based on your disability? Or did you feel you have to keep pushing the boat out there and say, look, this is who I am. Stop thinking the way I am. I'm able. Give me your understanding. I
1: think, yes. I think yes and no, Trevor. I think yes you're always trying to prove yourself to other people because there's probably an insecurity aspect of it. I'm going to generalize to me because I I know that to be true. Um, And it's always, you've got a chip on your shoulder or an axe to grind with people judging you for whatever reason to be inferior. But I think probably deep down, it was probably me trying to fit in into whatever that looked like, uh, be it sports, be it education, be it societal. Um, And this is obviously as an adult, it's a lot easier to be able to say, well, I'm okay with being the black sheep. If I'm different, I'm not vanilla. People are going to like me for it because I'm, I'm coming at it from a different perspective and giving my own little source to, to the, to the narrative. And I think people like that because, okay, I can relate to James's James's story or people that are disabled or, you know, reach the, the, the ranks of the Paralympics because it's more closely uh, associated with, you know, people's daily struggles, whereas it's very difficult to see similarities with an Olympian because for whatever reason, People put them into like godlike statuses. So for me, it was always, I think in the early days, ego driven. I wanted to beat people and just to get one up on them to to kind of say, well, if you've got a pushy parent, as some people do within sport, that's going to irritate the parent even more because he's lost a disabled kid, Uh, let alone, well, I was. In those early days, I was in swimming, so there's not that many black people anyway, uh, maybe right. a mixed race.
0: Right.
1: So that's going to be an irk to that family. It's like, well, why did you lose to this person? Race, and then obviously he's then missing a limb. So I think I've always my family's never been pushy. They've never been, well, James, you must do this, you must do that. It's been if that's your passion, we're going to support you one hundred percent. And all we ask of you is you put everything into that to make it success. Oh, there's been probably times where we've had our battles, my mom and I. I think when I was about eighteen, nineteen, uh, last last year in high school, I wanted to do something else, um, and I was heavily involved uh, with the well, the soccer team for the Americans and our football at the high school team because I was the uh, what they call the manager, so the, the 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 student in charge of making sure everything was in order for, for the coach to coach. Um, and with that said, it came to like the end of the season tournament. I wanted to go down with, with obviously my uh, peers, same age, have something in common. with it would it be in high school? Um, but my mom said to me, "Well, you got you got a swimming competition the same weekend." I was in the national program at that point. Your sport that's the sport that's paying you. That's the sport you're going to do. And I've thanked it for that as an adult. It's like, well, you knew best. I didn't want to hear what you had to say then, but you, hold, you held my hand to the fire and kind of said, well, James, is the soccer going to get you a career where you want to get to? Or is the swimming going to do that? And ultimately, it was more you know your head versus your heart kind of take on it it's like i wanted to go with my my heart somewhat and not my head and, and obviously she had to take probably the right. adult decision it's like no you need to go with what your head is this is your choice that you made you've got to stick by it and execute
0: right Well, James, I'll tell you something, I've got some questions to ask you, but because of the short period we have, um, it gives me so much idea to ask you. One, for the benefit of the listeners who may be out there with disability. Number two, families who may be having children or somebody in the family who've got a disability, probably in a situation now with a closed lockdown, maybe having to have, looking for more support. I'm hoping this interview will help people out there to understand the achievement as well as the disability. So I wanted to ask you two very important questions. Do you class yourself somebody with disability? Uh... sorry to put you on the spot there. But... No, it's not
1: it's not putting me on the spot, Trevor. It's it, I think it depend I think it depends on the narrative in, in which you want to use it. And I think because of how you you've been brought depending on how you've been brought up sometimes you will use it as to play the victim sometimes you will use it as empowerment piece and then sometimes it will make you use it to kind of stand out from the crowd so i think it depends on what your motives are behind that i think for me i'm not ashamed of of being james being disabled um I think probably when I was younger, I I probably a little bit was because I didn't know what was going inside other people's heads and you making assumptions about what other people think of you. Whereas now, I probably don't, I don't, I do, I do and I don't. Uh, Be it, if it's people within my inner circle, I obviously want that criticism uh, because it's going to better serve me and my business. But to answer your question, no, I, th- I think I, I I would because it puts me within a certain box and it and it be, enables me to use certain vocabulary and certain language within a certain context and people would understand what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, probably from that sense, that standpoint, from a positive, yes, because it makes me, you know, what businesses would call like, know and trust. I have that element of trust to it because... I can relate to how people have the daily struggles.
0: Right. So, um, because I have a lot of people put in certain labels on people. And one thing about human beings, we don't like to be labeled, unless it's for the right reason. People label you for this. Like, I've got a disability myself. And I always remind people, I have a very strong saying, it's not my disability, but my ability. Don't look at my disability, look at my ability. What I can do is greater than my disability. And I think, James, this is where your story shows it's your ability. You're demonstrating your ability, your life, you're growing up, and this is where I will know it's gonna get more interesting because you changed, you got involved in something that most people are not prepared or ready for, your career change, which is sports for England. Now that's a big jump out of the pan. Very big jump. And I want to congratulate you and salute you on that achievement. And that's where I want to go into. So ladies and gentlemen, we've got James Robert on the call with us. And so far he's given us an idea of his career, his life, and not his disability, but his ability. And I'm sure today we can learn so much from James today. Welcome to Yes, You Can. And if you ever say to yourself, you can't, I always say, yes, you can. So, yes, you can today's show with James Roberts, and he is going to talk to us about the next stage of his career, which is going to be very interesting, because something turned around for James, and most people are lining up to get into this kind of career for England, athletics, and etc. So, James achieved that. So, right, James, um, things begin to turn around for you, and it's exciting. Uh, you got very heavily involved into sports and I believe they're still doing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? You represent for England. You represented for England. Now, James, tell us a little bit about your sports and how you end up being represented for uh, England.
1: Um, well, the, the the long story short, what propelled my career... What ended up being a decade at the, at the elite level was actually the 2002 Manchester two, uh, Manchester 2002 Commonwealth Games. I've uh, been as a spectator, and I think my, my gr- grandmother, being very English, and I've been growing up in, in Wales uh, for month, and living in, in Wales for a long time for herself, I think she wanted me to be in a position to succeed in sport and my mom didn't want to come back to uh, my aunt's house and having to uh, speak to her if she hadn't done that and in the position to succeed. Uh, but long story short, I had a discussion with the, the coach poolside what is now almost 20 years ago mm-hmm. and he said to me, obviously you started quite late as an 11 year old in swimming, which is technically true. But what stuck with me was you possibly won't succeed. And it's like, okay, I've got a point to prove now. I'm going to prove that I'm an outlier to, when it comes to swimming, if I start at 11, I'm not this generic person coming off the factory line of five, six, seven, eight years old. I can make it. And to give some people some empowerment to so this story, that's that coach ended after often after dinner speeches of my story as as uh, i'd have been 15 at the time of my mom going out of her way to put her son in a position to be able to be on the start of i use with the road the, the, the yellow big road starting out my career and ultimately the rest is, is uh history i made the Uh, development program within the space of 18 months. Um, I had, obviously, that's the high, the low was being dropped two years later in my first year of university to a year later being in the the performance program within rowing and making my first world championships to even greater heights of, of making my first Paralympics in 2008. Uh, the, the lows of rowing would be classification change, which is a minefield in itself. And that is a, an episode in itself uh, to the highs of the, what was probably my most poignant part of my career was to be able to compete on home. soil at the games in London, 2012. So I think I've had ups and downs, ebbs and flows, but I think, uh, what stuck with me the most is my aunt asked me probably twice in my career. Uh, once, probably about six months ago, and I think one about five years ago. Would you do it all over again if you had the ch- you had the opportunity? It's like yes, but I would learn from my mistakes and do it differently. How the career would shape out, I don't know, but yes, I would jump at the chance to do it all again.
0: Right. Wow. What made you say you'd get the chance to do it again? What's the reason for saying that?
1: Um, well, I was talking to a teammate a few weeks ago about this. It's it's, it's an easy life. It's, it's, I, I say this loosely as it's an easy life. It's a cushy life because of, ultimately, you only have to think about yourself. It's not that difficult because... This is where athletes are no different from each other. We're very driven, very eyes have our eyes on the prize. It's if it's not going to make me better, I'm going to ignore it, I'm going to discard it. It is when it comes down to people, it's very um, unsympathetic, but ultimately, that's where the difference between you know, general populace and the people that succeed at that level. Yes, it's a choice, but we don't steer off the path that difficult, unless it's okay. If I'm going to deviate over here, there has to be a good reason to do it. Whereas maybe with other people, they put it down to motivation, willpower, whatever you want to use to be able to, mm-hmm. you know, to get on and get going no that's that's one it's probably uh it's a priority would be one and then the second point would be you haven't got the urgency whereas with an athlete the urgency is very here and now it's like if i don't do it and you probably heard this time and time again from from other other athletes and other other people you know the story of if i don't train on christmas day which I didn't do, but other athletes would have done. Somebody else somewhere in the world is doing it, and that's the motivation mm-hmm. to make you, to get you out of bed on those with cold winter days, which we have a lot of them in this country. Yeah. But you use external um, motivators to to give you a little bit of um, fire underneath you on those days that it's. Oh, I'm not quite up to scratch that's so we're no different from the average joe in the street it's just we just maybe have a little bit more either a support network or we utilize other resources to be able to reignite that fire within ourselves. it's a bit right. i don't know right or your rival somewhere else in the world, which loads of coaches have done that with me loads of times, get me to visualize the person next to me to get that extra percent out of you in in a training environment and, and it, it, it works wonders. Um so I think for me that that, that that speaks volumes.
0: Right. Now the interesting thing is that you end up being I believe in the Olympics you were swimming that right? Four by four hundred or something like that.
1: No, I competed in in rowing in in the Beijing Games and then volleyball in in the London Games. Okay,
0: right, okay. Now, I can imagine you among everybody else who got different natures of disability. The world wide is seeing you. It's a tremendous spotlight on you now. And I can imagine how you felt emotionally there. Uh, It's like a big pride to yourself to say, tap yourself and say, you know what, I've done it. And it can be proven. And I think, James, I'm just looking at this show today that you can be a role model to people who probably listening to this show who got disabilities like myself, uh, who feel they want to go into sports. I'm looking for the listeners to know that James is an, a, an image and a evidence of success. despite your disability. You've done that, James. That's a record that cannot be taken away from you. That's a beautiful feeling. So with you now having your tracksuit on, you're going around the photo taking on, the media attention on you, uh, was it a frightening experience for you because at that level where you got a lot of attention now, which is not just local, it's worldwide.
1: No, I don't think you think about it in in, in that bigger picture. And the story I used to be able to showcase this is the our, one of our last pool games in London. And we had a venue of, I think it was about 10,000 people in the Excel mm-hmm. in East, in the, in the East, in the East end. Um, and what one of my teammates said to me is treat this no differently than you would do a training day mm-hmm. or, or practice. Remember the days that we spent for the last two years preparing for mm-hmm. this, this showcase, uh, and it obviously backfired on the, the Moroccan coach because he would called a timeout that first time, and uh, the out of mine is a is a, a Gurkha, so he, they are some ruthless people uh, when it comes right. to guerrilla warfare. But to, for him to kind of you know play down the the occasion as don't and he, this is his first game. This is my second yeah. game. Forget about the 10,000 people that are in the stand. Uh, two of those people would have been family of mine, but I didn't know where they were. But irrespective of the people that are watching, just treat it as 12 people on call and that's it. Uh, second time out the coach call. We were laughing and joking in the timeout. So, So it kind of gone from make or break, as the game was, to this is fun this is like this is like training it's like practice like any day of the week to to me executing an eight i got two aces in a row it calls us it calls a substitution and this this is hilarious because i can i can picture the youtube video to the to this exact point the commentators who commentated our league games uh, in the lead up to the to the tournament they made a kind of sake comment now now here I can't I can't obviously do it in that tone of voice but now here comes the substitute so I had laughing on the on on the bass line serve it and it was it was comical it was it's like well you you just happened to be in I was kind of like in a bubble moment it's like well I'm in the XL but I'm but not but Mentally, I'm not. I'm in in this gymnasium in the university, uh, the University of Roehampton, where we were based in West London, and that was a small gym. It's like, and it just went, you know, blinkers on. I'm just looking the other side of the net at the other person and just ex- execute. And same with with, with uh, the, the my final in, in in Beijing. Right. The the pl- the pressure was completely off. I don't know how that happened because that was my first Paralympics and that is the pinnacle if you make the final it's like why am I not nervous one ounce but I think because we would had played a good game with the media in the lead up to that Paralympics as the, right. par- the final is the pinnacle that's the icing on the cake the medal would be a bonus it'd be the cherry on top and um, because of I guess the pressure was off externally I, I I we'd said exactly what we were going to execute we've done that now internally we have to do that as well so that we yes we wanted to medal. unfortunately it didn't happen but and the moral of this story is I like completely different people at games was I came off the water and saw my family for the first time in I think about two weeks okay. and said well I've done the best that I could through the kitchen sink at it. That's the best I could do on the day. My mum's kind of jaw dropped to the to, to the floor. It's like, you, where's the normal James would be mo- not moaning, but would be pointing fingers as well. This went wrong. That went wrong. I kind of went, no, that's the best I could have done. It wasn't good enough on to on this particular day. There's nothing I can do. But I did my best. Yeah. That's all I could ask myself. I I gave it everything, every ounce. Of sweat to that cause. Okay. Right. Uh, and well, and I think once it came to like the closing ceremony, I want to do this all again. I want to go, I want to, I want to compete in, well, we knew, we knew by then it was going to be London. I want to compete in, in London. I, I did have times where um, Channel 4 had to do it with, uh, the media side of things that my mom was kind of pushing me down that route like no i want to compete because ultimately i speak to and i think this is where my podcast very much helps is i speak to athletes of different nationalities and they are always not i won't say en- in one sense envious because they might not get the opportunity to be able to compete on home soil but would like the opportunity and to, and to be asked well what, what is it like to compete on home soil? It's hard to put into words because it's I've I've had it I well my first world championships for rowing was on home soil so that was kind of on one level. London was like probably 10 20 maybe even 50 times higher than that. So it, it, it's it gives the opportunity to your friends and family that maybe not be able to travel the globe the opportunity to see you in in the flesh. So it was very, I think, humbling for me to be, you know, cousins being able to see me play sport in the flesh. Uh, My mum has probably travelled the globe and seen me in probably every sport that I competed in, in every guise from Paralympics down to, you know, regular competitions. She's always been. And I guess it gives the people the finished article and thus irrespective of I win, lose or draw, my family's always going to be supportive. But it gives people of uh, who I went to school with, who I went to university with, they would have they would have seen the hard graph that I put in. They get to see what the, the finished article looks like and some of the, the people by went to university with with volunteers at the at the games themselves. So be able to reminisce even what is now t- eight years on with them as well. What was? Do you remember your experience? Blah blah blah. You know, it's what's a good thing with Facebook. It reminds you as you had this conversation with such and such. We so we could reminisce with certain aspects of that that make it very unique of as a relationship. As yes, we were. Or colleagues loosely but students are doing the same degree but we have something else in common as well later on after we finished our degree so it's very it's poignant to be oh, okay what what have you been doing since this
0: right right now because of the time I'll tell you we've got a lot to ask you but um, what you've given us James is a very good uh, scenario of I would say the title you gave, sink or swim. (laughs) It's either sink or you swim. You can't, there's no third choice. And I think you've swimmed and you've achieved it. You've reached on the other side of the ocean. And this is what I like about your story. Uh, It made me to ask you one last question before we close. Are you in the process of writing a book about this?
1: Uh, Yes. Oh, I've (laughs) stolen
0: stolen it now.
1: Oh, minute. Yes. yes, I have, Trevor. Uh, you're not the first person to ask me. It's it's still in the idea phase, and um, what a pu- pu- book publisher pu- uh, book publisher had asked me to do was write down your earliest memories and and go back from you know and work right. your way forward, and then fill in the gaps. So it's trying to, you know, speak to family, um, speak to you know teammates, etc., as. You, do you remember this? What's your what was your side of the the conversation, and and be able to give a, a spin? Um, so yes, when that will come out, we have to wait and we we'll have to wait and see, because uh, it's going to be a lot of deep diving, soul searching, uh, and obviously asking permission of of people. Well, this is my take on the situation. What is yours? And obviously, collaboratively come to in it either right. an arrangement or an agreement, be that would probably family because you don't want to portray family in a in a in a negative light, uh, from an outside perspective and then them take obviously some sort of remorse as well. you put me in a bad light. Right, uh, right, I'm not happy with that. So so yeah, that's probably gonna take some time and some of the stories gonna probably take me some deep soul-searching was like, well, do I really want people to know this about me? And have I really overcome that hurdle already? It? So it's, it's looking at, well, what can go in a book or what can go on the internet? And, and, and I'm quite happy with that going in. Uh, but what this publisher said was, well, if you can't get around this hurdle, you're always making it fictional. Book and, and make it very much, uh, you know, something like James Bond, uh, a legend in itself, but it's based somewhat on a true story of um, the of the book, of James Bond. But right. ultimately, it's just some 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 aspects of of James Bond related to him, and then people will say, "What? Well, not a true story. It's too too, uh, too drama drama dramatized. I mean, really, that's a real story. I just put it in."
0: So, right. Now here's the beauty of it interviewing you. It it can be evidently proven. People can get so far and give up. After a career that they love, they can't do anything more. You haven't James. That's the beauty of it. The sport that you're not doing no more, it's still there, it's still a part of you. You're still passionate about it. Guess what? You're gonna put that in a book form. That book form, my thoughts is, can you imagine the impact it will have on people particular with disabilities? Particularly the time we're in now, the pandemic. People are gonna need some knowledge from you to have an impact in their life, to have a career and hope. So James, I have to say, it's it's been very insightful and uh, your story your life is very powerful and I believe it will have greater impact than you could ever believe, um, and I think uh, the idea what you have—it's still going on. The fire is still burning. Nobody's putting the fire out. The only time you can put the fire out, James, is yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to see this fire continue to burn, and I do want to see your work succeed and be an impact to people—not just in UK but worldwide. And who to say? And maybe interviewing you next time uh, and hearing you all over the newspaper, all over the uh, media paper, Instagram. Uh, that tells me somebody's getting the impact. That's the story of your life. All right. So, Jane, before we close now, just one final question to ask me. What would you say your final word to those who do have disabilities and feel like giving up, feel like there's no hope, and uh, they want to be successful, but for some reason, there's so many barriers. What would your last word be? To those online.
1: Oof, that's a good question. I'd say never give up hope. It's always when there's a, like like you said when we started. When there's a will, there's a way. It, it, it and like you said to me, it's on, the only person that can extinguish your fire is yourself. So like like I said, I'll go again. When there's a will, there's a way. There's always there's a way there's a, be it a plan B, a an alternative. A deviation, it's up to you.
0: Right, okay. Well, James, thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, we had our wonderful guest, James Robert. You heard the story. I do encourage you to take time out to listen to this podcasting. Rewind it, rewind it, and rewind it until it registers with you. Why? Because there's so much key information in this interview. James let it out. Walk the talk experience. Now it's your time and opportunity to take on board and make a difference in your life and your community. Everybody needs somebody and we all need each other. And that's where we start. So yes, uh, get ready ladies and gentlemen for the next episode with Trevor Carter, your host. Yes, you can. Today starts with you, not tomorrow. So James, thank you very much for coming and I wish you all the best with your career and your book, which I'll be waiting for. I'll be definitely digging deep in Google trying to find that book. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> And uh, we look forward to hearing more about you. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again and see you soon. Thank you.